Okay, hello, good morning. Welcome to the Science Festival. Thank you to those of you that have fought through the mini beast to be here. And we hope you've enjoyed the festival so far. We're about at the midpoint now, so you've still got a whole week ahead of you if you haven't done enough already. I'm very pleased to welcome James Grime this morning, who is going to be taking us on an adventure through the digital world. Uh, he's usually accompanied by his uh, Enigma machine, or technically Simon Singh's Enigma machine. But uh, this t today we're going to be looking at other sort of codes, ciphers, and uh, digital bits um, <laughs> that sort of fit in around that. So thank you very much for coming, and uh, please welcome James Graham. Over to me. Okay, we'll get started. All right. We'll get started. Okay, well, I'll start by saying hi to everyone, first of all. Hi, everyone. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, over here. So let me introduce myself. So I'm James. Uh, so I'm a mathematician, and I'm here to talk about how we send messages on the internet today. So you probably know, you've probably heard of this. All messages that we send on the internet today are transmitted as ones and zeros. Have you heard of this before? Yeah, so everything we send today is transmitted as ones and zeros, which means every post that you put on Twitter is transmitted as ones and zeros, right? Every post on Facebook is transmitted as ones and zeros. Every photo on Snapchat is transmitted and stored as ones and zeros. So you can be as beautiful as I am here. So this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk a little bit about the ideas and the maths behind how that technology works. Okay? So let's talk about our first problem when we're transmitting messages. So our first problem is, even now, in this room, even now, we are, trans we are surrounded by these invisible messages. And all these invisible messages, they're surrounding us, they're being transmitted by radio, they're being transmitted as beeps. So think of it as a kind of Morse code, right? So you've all heard of Morse code before, right? So transmitting messages as dots and dashes. Oh, sorry about that. Transmitting messages as dots and dashes. And they're all being transmitted now, and they're all invisible around us. Well, try and think of it like that, but we're all getting these messages from Wi-Fi. We're getting these messages from our mobile internet. We're getting these messages from uh, GPS, all these different things. What should be happening is these messages should be interfering with each other. What should be happening, as you saw, is when we're using the internet, we should be constantly doing sort of a Lion King impression, trying to pick up a signal, right? But we don't, right? So why don't we do that? So all these signals are not interfering with each other. Now, the solution to this problem had a rather unlikely inventor. So the person who came up with a solution to this problem was very famous at the time, but, and some of the people here will know who this person is, but not everyone will. So the person who discovered this solution was a woman called Hedy Lamarr. So Hedy Lamarr, if you don't know, there she is. She's a very glamorous-looking woman, as you can tell. She was actually a 1940s Hollywood film actress. She was actually known as the most beautiful woman in the world. All this is true, right? At the time, she was very famous, right? She starred in lots of films. Some of these films are good films. Some of these films are a little bit sexist, which is slightly unfortunate. Things like Hedy Lamarr is The Strange Woman, uh, Hedy Lamarr in The Heavenly Body. And, and it must have been very frustrating for her because she was secretly an inventor as well. And she came up with an idea to transmit messages so that they don't interfere that we still use in Wi-Fi today. This idea is called frequency hopping. Now, to show you what this idea is, I'm going to do a little demonstration of how this works, and I need a volunteer to help me out with something. So could I get a volunteer to help me out with a demonstration? So I've got a couple of hands here, got a shy hand. So let me see, I'm going to go to, oh, who do I pick? 
Or I'm going to go to this girl here. Can we give a round of applause for this girl here? You were keen. So I'll bring you down. Uh, what's your name? Lucy. Lucy, come down, don't worry. Up, come up here. So what we're going to do, we're going to show what Hedy Lamar's idea was. I'm going to try and transmit a message to the audience, right? So I'm going to be transmitting a message to the audience, and you are going to be interference, right? You're the bad guy here. You're going to try and stop me from sending this message. So let's try this out. Okay, I'm trying to send a message. You'll stop. Oh, oh, no. Oh, right, perfect. So what we're going to do instead is I'm going to transmit a message using five different frequencies. You can see them here, one, two, three, four, and five. I'm going to send my message one letter at a time using five frequencies. You're trying to block my message, okay? Now, you can only block one frequency at a time. There's a reason for that. It takes power to block a frequency. So we're going to only block one at a time. Now, one thing I have to do, me and the audience have to share a secret sequence of frequencies, right, that you don't know, right? So I'm going to actually sort of Look away, don't right, close your eyes, don't look, and we're going to share a secret. Okay, we've done it, it's okay. Right, <laughs> we've shared a secret sequence of frequencies. Right, you're going to try and block me, my, me sending this message. Which frequency do you want to block? One, two, three, four, or five? I'll block three. You're blocking three. So let's do it. Actually, do it physically. Come over here and like go, no, 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 for three. Right, so you're blocking frequency three. Uh, let's see if you were right. The first frequency I was sending was, ah, oh, frequency 5, which means I can take frequency 5 here, and I can show this letter to the audience so that the audience knows the first letter of the message, but you don't. Okay, now, we're going to try and send the second letter. You're going to try and block this message. So, do you want to stay where you are, or do you want to change your mind, try and block a different frequency? You're going to block frequency number two. Let's see if you're right. Oh, unfortunate. It was frequency three. Oh, no. So we can send the second letter of that message to the audience. There you go. Hopefully everyone can see. So now, let's try it again. Are you going to stay where you are or are you going to switch? You're going back to, what was it? Was that four? You're going blocking four. Let's try. And it's all number one. That's okay. We can show that off. So the audience can see number one. So everyone knows what number one was. Okay. Do you want to stay where you are or do you want to switch? One, two, three, four, five. Well, you're going to switch to. Is that number two? You're switching to number two. Oh, it's number one again. Oh, no. Right. So we can show that off. There we go. Everyone can see number one. And, okay, last chance. All right. Let's try and block this last letter. One, two, three, four, or five. You're going to block number three. It is, oh, number two. Yeah, it's just like a delay. There's like a lag on your blocking here. So I can show off number two so everyone can see the last letter of the message. So now the audience knows what the message is. So it's not a difficult message. What was the message? Hello. hello. Just hello. Nothing clever. But why was it difficult for you to block that message? Why was it difficult for you to stop me? Perfect. You didn't know which one I was going to choose. So I kept changing the frequency, and the pattern was unpredictable. Does that sound right? Perfect. Have a round of applause for Lucy. That was perfect. <laughs> really good. So this is what Hedy Lamar's idea was. She thought, if we keep changing the frequency, we won't be able to block the signal. So she was actually trying to design a remote control torpedo. So this is World War II, right? So in World War II, 
you have remote control, right? You could design a remote control torpedo so that you can steer it and sink ships with it. But if your enemy wants to block that signal, they just broadcast on the same frequency and then your missile just flies off, right? No good. So what Hedy Lamarr was trying to do was to keep changing the frequency so that that signal can't be blocked. So you can drive a remote control torpedo. Uh, why did she know so much about torpedoes, by the way? She had a very interesting life. Uh, she was actually married six times, married and divorced six times. Her first marriage, though, was to an Austrian arms dealer who used to sell weapons to the Nazis. Right, so you, she used to host these dinner parties. Right, they just treated her as a pretty face. Oh, right, she's just, oh, it's just Hedy Lamar over there, right, completely ignoring her all the time she's listening to their conversations. She escapes from this guy, who's not a nice guy at all. She escapes and becomes a Hollywood film actress. Right? Now, she didn't do this idea alone. She did it with a friend of hers, a guy called George Antile. George Antile was a musician, and he suggested they make it like a self-playing piano. Uh, so you've, I guess you've seen self-playing pianos before. They're kind of, they're kind of ghostly, aren't they? they? Where the keys kind of play themselves. So the way self-playing piano works, inside the piano, there is a roll of paper. And that roll of paper tells the piano which note to play and for how long. So George Antal suggested that they make it the same way. Inside the torpedo, they have a strip of paper that tells the torpedo which frequency to use and for how long. You have the same thing on the ship. So they run together in sync. So they're running together. They're constantly changing frequency, but they remain in sync. Now, they gave this idea to the US Navy, and the US Navy turned it down because they said, how on earth are you going to fit a piano inside a torpedo? <laughs> right? Completely ignoring the fact that the whole thing could have been shrunk down to the size of a coin if they wanted to. Now, this is one idea that we use today, and it's still, we still use it in Wi-Fi, in GPS, mobile phones, all these technologies. So when you're sending a message by Wi-Fi, your computer or your phone is transmitting to the transmitter. It's constantly changing frequency. You and the transmitter remain in sync, but you're constantly changing the frequency so that your message can't be blocked, either accidentally or on purpose. Now, today... We send messages with ones and zeros, right? It's all transmitted as ones and zeros. So why do we do that? So this makes your messages more reliable. So in the old days, right, if you were having a telephone conversation, right, if you're having a telephone conversation, that conversation would be transmitted as a wave, right? Which makes sense, right? Sound is a wave. You just transmit that sound as a wave down the telephone line, right? You'd be transmitted as a wave. But this was unreliable because uh, these signals uh, get weaker with distance. So telephone companies needed to find a way to make a more reliable signal. So there was a guy who came along, a mathematician called Claude Shannon, and he came up with a way to transmit messages more reliably. He already knew that you could transmit messages as beeps, kind of like Morse code. So I mentioned Morse code before. So you can, try to, you can send messages as beeps. Well, he suggested that you could send every message as a beep. And this is new. This is a new idea. Right? Not just Morse code type messages, but sound, telephone conversations, pictures, anything. Right? Now, these beeps become our ones and zeros. So these are ones and zeros. Claude Shannon called these binary digits bits for short. So these are our bits. And this is the fundamental unit of information. 
And when he did this, he showed that by transmitting messages as ones and zeros, they are more reliable over greater distances. And if you increase the frequencies, kind of like we did here, if you increase the frequencies, uh, you can send messages faster and with less power. So this is now the beginning of the digital world today. The whole digital world we know today started here. Now, this solves another problem of sending reliable messages. But what do these messages look like? So let's do an example of what they look like. So we're going to send a message in binary. Okay, so now some of you will know binary, but I won't assume everyone knows binary, but some of you will have heard of binary before. But the idea is this. Imagine you're sending a message on the Internet, an email, a tweet, something like that. So you're sending the letters on the Internet, right? So here's the, here, here's the alphabet, A to Z. I'm going to turn those letters into numbers. That's what your computer does. So when you're transmitting an email, all it's doing is transmitting the letters of the alphabet as numbers, right? And it's simple. A is 1, B is 2, Z is 26. It's as simple as that. That's what your computer does when you're transmitting messages. But it sends those numbers in binary. If you don't know what binary is, binary is just a systematic way of writing the numbers as ones and zeros. It looks like this. So this is what it looks like in binary. Now, they all start the same. They all start with a one, or sorry, zero, one, zero. That's a little bit of code just to tell you you're sending a letter rather than a symbol or a number. And the rest of it, that's just one to 26 written in binary. That's what your computer is sending, just on those numbers written in binary. So let's try this out. It's called ASCII. If you want to see the whole thing, here's the whole thing. So we're going to try this out. I'm going to send a message using ASCII here. So it's a three-letter message. Right, let's see if we can do it. Okay, you can use the left-hand side, and we'll work out what this message is. What's the first letter of this message? B, you've said. Right, yeah, if you check, it's B. The second letter of this message, can you find it? I've heard U down here, and the third letter of this message, can you find it? M, yeah, I've written bum in binary. <laughs> it is called ASCII, after all. Hey, uh, I make my own fun. So not hard to do. So that's when you're transmitting a message as binary. Let's try something a bit more difficult. Let's try and transmit an image. That is going to be more difficult. How are we going to turn this image into numbers so that we can transmit them as binary? Well, if you take a photograph right, with your mobile phone, whatever, if you zoom in to the mobile phone screen or your computer screen, you'll notice that the screen is made out of pixels. So pixels look like this. Each pixel is made from a red component, a green component, and a blue component. And by changing the brightness of red, green, and blue, we can change the color. It's like mixing paint. So by adjusting red, green, and blue, we can make any color we want. So we're going to adjust the brightness. I'll show you a pixel like this. So each uh, component, red, green, and blue, is given a number, a value, from 0 to 255. If they're on full value, if they're on 255, if they're on full brightness, you get a white pixel, right? But if you set more to zero, you get a black pixel. If we change the values, you get any other color you want, really. So we've got a pink here, which is mostly red. Uh, we've got a purple here, it's mostly blue, bit of red in there, makes it purple. Or we have something like this, which is this nice, relaxing shade of gray, of which I hear there are several others. Now, it's not hard to do, but this number, 255, it's a weird number to send. That's a weird number to choose. Why is it not 0 to 100 or 0 to 1,000? Why is it 0 to 255? Because, oh, go on, you do it.
Perfect answer. I'll repeat that answer. Uh, 255 is the largest number you can write using eight binary digits, right? So that's how we're transmitting these numbers. So if I'm transmitting this uh, pixel here, which is a gray pixel, I could be using these numbers 170, 170, 170, but I'm transmitting those numbers in binary. So each pixel is made of three numbers, and those three numbers are transmitted in binary. Now, these codes I've shown you so far, they're digital codes. That's how we transmit these messages. They're not secret codes, though, right? That's important. So these are not secret codes. It's just a way of transmitting messages like a Morse code. So let's have a look at some secret codes that we could send. So there's a couple of ways we can do this. The first one I want to show you is a way of hiding messages, so hiding secret messages. Uh, I'm going to show you by giving you an example of this uh, from this guy. So this was a student. He's like 17 years old, high school student in America, and this... It's his physics essay. Uh, there you go. It's about Niels Bohr. So never has a man influenced physics so profoundly as Niels Bohr and the rest. Now, there is a hidden message in this. He gave this in to his teacher, but his teacher never did realize that there was a secret message hidden in his essay. Now, some of you may have seen the secret message. If you haven't seen the secret message, perfect. That's the whole point. But if you look at the first word of each line, the first word of each line, we've got never going to give you up, never going to, oh dear. So he had rickrolled his teacher, right? So this is called an acrostic. It's a way of hiding secret messages in plain sight. Well, we can do that with digital images as well. If you want to send a secret on the internet, you can do the same sort of thing. So we looked at these pixels before. They're made out of three numbers. Here's 170, 170, 170. Makes this gray pixel. Remember, these are sent in binary, so they look like that. What we can do is we can strip away the last digit from each number. So if we strip away the last digit from each number like this, and we can fill that last digit with our own message, right? our own secret message, written in binary, written in ASCII, something like that, but it could be anything we want. We can fill that in. It will change the photo. It will change the pixels. But then you can post that photo on the internet. Your friend can then receive that photo, they will then strip away those last digits from each pixel, string them together, and it will spell out this secret message. Now, if we can do this, let's do it as an example. Let's fill in these last digits with my own message. I'll just pick out three digits. So I'm just going to fill it with 100, right? Now, just to remind you, this is what these numbers are now. The numbers have changed, right? So it's slightly more red than it was before. It's 171, 170, 170. That does mean the color will change. So we're going to get a slightly different color. Uh, so the pixel now looks like this, right? Almost exactly the same, right? And you can't notice a difference. Let me show you. Here is the original pixel, right? And here is the new pixel, right? Look closely. I'll do it again. See if you can spot the difference. Here's the original, and here's the new, right? One more time. Here's the original. 
And here's the news, right? The change is so small, it is imperceptible. You can't even notice it's been changed. In fact, the change is so small that you didn't even notice that that last time I didn't change the pixel. <laughs> That's still the original color, right? That's the new color, right? <laughs> So you can send secret messages like this, and that's exactly what film studios do today. So film studios actually use this idea to stop internet piracy. So everything's available on the internet now. Isn't that wonderful? Right? So you can download a film if you want. Right? You can download a film, but you could be naughty and then upload that film somewhere else, like Pirate's Bay. Oh, how did I know that? Right? You can upload it somewhere illegal. But what your film studio can do is they can put your computer's IP address throughout the digital images of the film, right? It can string your computer's address through the film itself, right? So it can't be removed. And then if you upload it somewhere else, they know exactly who did it. Uh, in fact, you can go further than that. You can not just put messages in these last pixels of images. Uh, you can put whole images inside images as well. In fact, that's what I've done here. I've hidden an image inside this image here, and you can't see it. You can't tell that I've hidden an image. But if we strip away the original image, I'll show you the secret image underneath. There you go. Now, <laughs> this idea is kind of like uh, invisible ink. So that's the idea we're trying to do. Okay? It's like hiding your message is like invisible ink. But what about sending a, a secret code instead? What about sending a message in code? We can do that as well. In fact, Wi-Fi does this. When you're transmitting messages by Wi-Fi, it's all transmitted in code as well. I'll show you how that works. This idea goes back to World War II as well. So the same time as Hedy Lamarr and Claude Shannon are working on their ideas, uh, Nazi Germany were using uh, as code to send secret messages as ones and zeros, like I've been explaining. Now, this idea, they thought this secret code was unbreakable. Right? They thought no one will be able to work out this secret code, if the allies can work out the secret code, they'll be able to read those German secret messages, which is going to be a good thing. It's going to help. Uh, so does anyone know what the code is? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Enigma. Okay, so Enigma is what the Germans were using in World War II. Right? Very famous code. Uh, you may have heard of Alan Turing, who was the British code breaker, who worked uh, in Bletchley Park to break the Enigma code. You may have seen the film. You see the film a couple of years ago, The Imitation Game, with Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing breaking Enigma codes. The thing is, that's not the code I'm talking about. <laughs> ah, that's the famous one, right? That's the one everyone knows. No, I'm going to talk about a different code, right? So I'm going to talk about a code that isn't as famous as Enigma, and it's a shame that it's not as famous as Enigma. This code that the Germans were using is even more difficult than Enigma. It was called Lorenz. And this is the Lorenz. It's slightly bigger than an Enigma machine, full of wheels inside, you can see there. Even more difficult than Enigma, this machine was used by the generals, right, the top level of the Nazi party, by the top generals to send their secret messages, including Adolf Hitler himself. That's a kettle that looks like Adolf Hitler, by the way. Now, yeah, 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 I know. I'll wait for this one. This, is, this grows. This, this is like a ripple effect where people work it out. Oh, yeah, it does delight Hitler, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, I want to show you how this machine works. Now, this machine transmitted messages 
as ones and zeros, just like the modern internet. So this is like the beginning of the modern internet is transmitting messages as ones and zeros. In World War II, though, they didn't write them as ones and zeros. They used to write them as dots and crosses. So let's pretend it's World War II. We're going to do it like it's World War II with dots and crosses. So I'm going to send a message using dots and crosses. Okay, so this is my message. So I'm sending the letter M for message, okay? And in this code, it becomes dot, dot, cross, cross, cross. Right? Now I want to send this in code. What my Lorenz machine would do is the Lorenz machine would generate a random letter. So I'm going to say R for random, okay? So it's generating a random letter. In this case, R is dot cross, dot cross, dot. It now adds these two things together to make a code. The way it works is we're going to add these symbols in pairs. So we've got five pairs here. We're going to add these symbols in pairs. And the rule is, if the two symbols are the same, they make a dot. And if the two symbols are different, they make a cross. So let's make this code. Okay, let's write, work this out. So you can shout out these as we go along. Uh, let's do the first pair. It's a dot plus a dot. What's that become in my code? Dot. Dot plus a cross is? Cross. Cross and dot. Cross. Cross and cross. Dot. Yeah, they're the same. They make a dot. And cross and dot. Cross. Yes. So you get this dot. Cross, cross, dot, cross. That's your code. In this code, that's actually the letter P. So that's the letter P that you're sending. Right? That's what you transmit. At the other end, you've got your second German officer and they're receiving the coded message. They've got the letter P, so they're receiving that P, and now they have a Lorenz machine as well. And their Lorenz machine is set up exactly the same way as the first Lorenz machine. So it has to be set up the same. When it's set up the same, it will generate the same random letter, right? Because it's a fake kind of random. So it's generating the same random letter as before. And then it adds that to the code to get the final message. And if you're ahead of me, you might be able to see what's going to happen if I add up those symbols in pairs. That's what I get, dot, dot, cross, cross, cross. That's my original message back again. And that's how it worked. What you're doing is you're typing in your message. Lorenz makes a random letter. It adds it together, transmits the code. Over here, you're receiving the code. Lorenz generates the same random letter, right? And that random letter will cancel out, right? It cancels itself out and you get the original message back again. That's the big idea. So the key, or the random letters that it generates, cancels themselves out. Now, this, uh, this uh, Lorenz machine is actually quite rare today. There aren't many of these left anymore. There's about four, four in the museum, if you want to go see them. And that's like one in Germany, and there's one in Bletchley Park. Uh, but this is a very rare video of one working. So if we zoom on here, you see the wheels move. And when the wheels move, uh, every time those wheels move, it generates a different random letter. So these random letters are changing all the time, which means the code is changing all the time as you go along. Now, the Lorenz machine was much harder than Enigma, and I'll show you why it was much harder than Enigma. So Enigma, the famous machine, the ways you could set it up, there's a lot of ways to set it up. There are three wheels in the machine, which you can actually change over. You had five to pick from. You can change them over. They had different positions for each one. There's some wires at the front of the machine. You can move around. It changes the code when you do it. So to set up the Enigma machine, which you had to do every morning, a number of ways of setting it up was this large number. 159 million, million, million ways of setting up the Enigma machine, right? It's too many to check, right? It's a huge number. That is more settings than there are grains of sand on Earth. That is a ridiculously large number, right? You can't check 
all those options. Now, Lorenz, right? It was even more difficult than Enigma. So there's the Lorenz machine. So it has 12 wheels in. They don't swap over, but you can change the positions. And they have little on-off switches on the outside of the wheels. The on-off switches tells you to generate a dot or a cross at that position. There's 501 little on-off switches on there. Total number of ways to set up all these switches and wheels on the Lorenz machine is this number. So this is 100 million, 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 and then I run out, okay? So it's a massive number, a ridiculously large number. More settings than Enigma, more settings than grains of sand on Earth. More settings for Lorenz than there are atoms in the universe. Now, it's just a ridiculously large number. It is even worse than that because if each atom in the universe was itself a universe of atoms, then there would be more settings for Lorenz than there are atoms in a universe of universes. Right? It is a ridiculously large number. Right? Now, it is important to break this code. Right? If we can break that code, we'll be able to read those top-secret German messages in World War II. So that's what happened. So this is where we did it. So this is Bletchley Park, which you may have heard of. It's a museum now. If you want to go and visit Bletchley Park, you can go visit this place. So it's full of very clever people. It's where they broke the Enigma code in World War II. And they started to get these strange messages from the Lorenz machine. All these ones and zeros, these dots and crosses. And they didn't know what it meant. They didn't know how it worked. Until one day, there was one fatal mistake. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened. One day, there was a German officer, and he was sending a message using Lorenz. And it was quite a long message. It's like 4,000 letters long. It's quite a long message. So he was sending this message with the Lorenz, and he transmitted it, and then the guy at the other end didn't receive it. So he sent a message back saying, you what, hey, right, pardon. <laughs> so the guy over here, he was so annoyed that he had to send this message again. He reset his machine started to send the message again, but this time he started to send it with a few abbreviations, right, just to keep it a little bit shorter, just to make it a little bit easier. What that meant was that at Bletchley Park, they had two copies of the same message with slight differences. And from those two codes alone, they were able to completely reverse engineer the machine that made it without ever seeing the machine, right? This is amazing. What they did so they took those two codes and they added them together, symbol by symbol. When they added them together, those two codes were made using the same key, the same set of random letters. So those random letters cancelled out. And what you got, the result, was the two original messages added together. And then you could start to prise them apart and work out what the original messages were. So that was done by a linguist, a guy called John Tiltman. It took him 10 days, 10 days to do that to work out what the two original messages were. Now, the message itself wasn't that interesting, wasn't that important. What was important, though, is he could also work out the set of random letters that created the code. And using those random letters, you might be able to work out the machine. What they did is they gave this set of symbols, these random letters, to uh, a young mathematician called Bill Tutt. So Bill Tutt uh, was actually a Cambridge student he actually studied chemistry in Cambridge, Trinity College he was, uh, but he did have a reputation as being a good mathematician as well. 
Uh, he was, has a reputation of being a bit of a problem solver. So he was recruited to Bletchley Park, and they gave him this problem. They gave him these strings of random letters, these symbols, and he said, can you find a pattern? Now, there are stories of him sort of looking at this problem and sort of staring off into space, and people are going, is he even doing anything? Is he even working? Just staring off into space. But he was, and he eventually noticed a pattern in those dots and crosses. And from that pattern, he could start to work out how the machine worked that generated those dots and crosses. Once he did that, all the other code breakers started to do chip in and help out, and they could completely work out the machine and how it worked. Now, having the machine is half the problem. The other half of the problem is knowing where the wheels are set, and that changed every day. You need to know where the wheels are set on the Lorenz machine. Now, Bill Tut had a method for doing that as well. His method, very clever, a bit complicated, right? Bit too complicated to do with pen and paper. So they needed a machine that could run this calculation for them. So they needed an engineer, this guy, Tommy Flowers, to help them design a machine that could help them break Lorenz codes. And he designed this machine. So it's called Colossus, right? And it's a huge machine, hence the name, right? It's huge, Colossus. So it's a big machine, and this is arguably the world's first digital computer, which means the world's first, I say arguably, there's about 11 candidates for that. The means the world's first digital computer was designed in secret at Bletchley Park to break Adolf Hitler's code, right? And that's exactly what they did, right? And uh, this idea that they used for the Lorenz machine is exactly what we use in Wi-Fi today. It's the same idea. When you're transmitting messages by Wi-Fi, right, like this, Right? We've seen that messages are transmitted as ones and zeros. What your phone does, or your computer, is it generates a random string of ones and zeros. Right? It does it rapidly as well, really quick. Ones and zeros, ones and zeros. Right? It then adds that to your message, right? and it creates a code, just the same way as Lorenz worked. Right? So your messages by Wi-Fi are transmitted in code. So they're secret, but there's another reason we do it as well. Because not just to send it in secret, but because when you transmit that as a signal, as like a radio signal, something like that, it means the signals don't interfere with each other. This is a modern version of frequency hopping, right? This is the modern version of Hedy Lamarr's idea. Hedy Lamarr was saying, if we rapidly change the frequencies, the signals don't interfere. What we're saying today is, if you rapidly change the data, it has the same effect. It means the signals don't interfere with each other, so we can all transmit messages at the same time. Now, it does happen that sometimes you do get interference, right? Something does go wrong. So how can we fix a mistake if it does go wrong? Okay, so we're gonna talk about this. So we're gonna correct mistakes. So how can we correct a mistake? Now, it would be nice if we could correct a mistake without having to send the whole message again, right? That's what the Lorenz machine did, right? That guy who made the mistake. That guy who made the mistake, right, he didn't receive the message at the other end. He sent the message all over again, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could send messages without having to transmit the message twice, okay? So we're going to do this. So to show you how to do this, uh, I'm going to need another volunteer for another demo. Can I get another volunteer now? Let's have a look. 
I see who I've got. We've got, oh, 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 who have I gone to? I'm going to go over here for no reason. Can I have a round of applause for this volunteer over here? I'll get your name in a second. Come out. I felt bad. There were so many people with hands up. Uh, what's your name? Tess, come. I'm going to show you a thing. We're going to, you're going to be interference again, okay? You're going to try and stop me sending messages again. Come over here to my laptop. So we're going to send a message. Now, I've got this set up for you. So I've got here. Here's a message I'm sending, okay? It's all in ones and zeros, right? But you're going to be the interference. And let's say you're going to switch or flip one of the digits. So you could flip a zero to a one. Or you could flip a one to a zero, right? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. You can go over here, you can randomize this, right? So I don't even know what you're doing, right? I don't even know what the message is, right? I'm going to ask you to flip a digit, anyone you want, and this is important. You then go over here and remove the yellow highlight, right? So I don't know which one you've changed. Now, I'm going to let you do this. I'll give you a warning, though. So this is my laptop. My laptop is a bit of a weird trackpad, so don't panic, okay? It's a weird trackpad, okay? So come over here. You can randomize this if you want and flip a digit, and I'm not looking, okay? So I don't know what you've done. Right, so hopefully you've randomized it. Have you flipped a digit? Yeah? Have you removed the yellow highlight so I don't know what it is? Yes? Okay, so I can look. Okay, so I don't know what you've changed. Okay, I'm going to try and work out which digit you flipped. Now, I don't think it's the first row. I think you flipped something in the second row. And I think I know which one you might have flipped, okay? I think you flipped this one here, is that right? Okay, now do you know how I did that? No, I'm gonna show you how I did that. So the actual message was this top square here. That's the actual message I'm sending, okay? This top square. The last row and the last column are extra digits. I've added those in so that each row and each column has an even number of ones. So if you see, the first row has an even number of ones. The second row has an even number of ones. And the columns as well. The first column, the second column, the third column, they all have an even number of ones. If you flip something, which is what you did here, I know which one you flipped. I can see this has an odd number in the second row. And it has an odd number in what the third column. I can work it out. I'm going to see if you can do it next, okay? You're going to have a go, okay? So I'm going to randomize this, and you're going to look away. You're going to try and work it out, okay? So you're looking away. You are looking away. So I can flip. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, I'll try that one. And I'm going to remove a highlight. Okay. We're going to try and work out which one I flipped. So is it the first row? It's not the first row. Was it the second row? Oh, it's the third one on the second column. I think you're right. Can I have a round of applause for Tess. Well done, you've done it. Nice work. Now, this idea uh, is, is designed only to fix one problem at a time. So using this idea, it's not a difficult idea, but this can fix one error only at a time. Uh, slightly better methods can be a bit more efficient than this square version. Uh, and even more sophisticated methods can fix more than one error at a time. And in fact, that idea is exactly what NASA uses when they're transmitting messages from space. So here's an image being transmitted from space, from Mars. So it's the surface of Mars being transmitted by a probe. It's transmitting this as a digital message. So it's ones and zeros, just like I've shown you before. 
but Mars is a long way away, okay? So when it travels all the way to Earth, during that journey, some of the digits get flipped. Some of the zeros become ones, some of the ones become zeros. What we get back is a slightly grainy image. But what NASA can do is they can use more sophisticated correction methods and they can fix those flipped digits and so they can recreate the original image so you get a beautiful, crystal clear image, hashtag no filter. Hashtag error correction, hashtag blessed. <laughs> now, this idea that NASA uses to transmit messages from space is exactly the same idea that we use in CDs as well, right? Do you remember CDs? <laughs> yeah, kids, yeah, ask your parents, okay? So CDs, they work the same way. If you zoom into a CD, it's actually made out of kind of dots and dashes. It's kind of made out of a kind of Morse code. These are our ones and zeros. So the music on a CD is stored as ones and zeros, kind of like dots and dashes. Same for a DVD. If you zoom in on the DVD, see kind of dots and dashes, these ones and zeros, and that's how your movie is stored. But then, if your CD or DVD, if it gets scratched or dirty, then your CD player can actually reconstruct the missing information, and so your CD can still play. In fact, you can go further than that, because you can actually literally drill a hole in a CD, right? Literally take out part of the song, physically take out part of the song, and your CD player can compensate for that and can reconstruct the missing information, so the CD still plays. I've always wanted to try it, so... We're gonna do it, right. So we are gonna do it now. So I have my drill. I have my other props. So I have a vice. And I have CDs for us to choose from, okay. We are gonna destroy a CD, right. Okay, I'm gonna give you two choices, all right. We'll destroy one of these, we'll see if, it's to, see if it works, okay. We'll see if it still plays. So I will give you two choices, and we'll see which one you like. Um, okay, so I've got here, I've got Taylor Swift, 1989. Mm -hmm. And your second choice is One Direction 4. <laughs> so we're going to take a vote on this. We're going to see which one I destroy, okay? So votes for Taylor Swift. Oh, not as popular as she used to be. Okay, and votes for One Direction. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's close. Okay, One Direction it is. So we're going to drill a hole in this CD. In fact, it is still, it's still in its shrink wrap. Could you open it up? Because it's still in its shrink wrap. Okay, now I've got a camera here, so you I can show you what I'm doing. So if I flip over to that, there we go. Uh, so we can see me actually do it. Hopefully you can see that. You see I've put in a, an example here already in. So this is a hole that I've done before, drilled into a CD. This hole is too big. This is too much damage. I put this here as an example of something that fails, right? So, I, by the way, I don't want to say you're predictable, but I got the wrong direction CD. There you go. Um, so this is an example of something that fails. This is too much damage. This is about a um, 2.5 millimeter hole, too much damage. And let me show you uh, what's going to happen then. I have my CD player. All right. So there's my CD player. Uh, now, hopefully... This is an example of something that fails, that doesn't work. So if I put this in, we'll try this out. 
and hopefully if I can use my red microphone here. Uh, right. hey, skipping. Not doing bad, actually. Oh, 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 right, there you go, and it skips, right. So that's too much damage. So I wanted to show you that. It's not magic, okay? This is science, this is technology. That is too much damage. But hopefully, we can drill a slightly smaller hole, and this will work. If you've done it for me, thank you very much. So uh, let's try this out. So there's my One Direction CD. Right, I'll put it into my vice. Let's see, something to aim for. Okay, there's a little barcode there. I can aim for that. So I'm going to put it in the vice like this. Great. And make sure it's down there. Right, I've got my drill. And last thing I need to do, but very important, so that I can be safe and stylish. Okay. <laughs> We're going to drill a hole into this CD. There I am. Right. Here we go. Oh, now I might be busy. I'm not, I won't be talking while I do this. Let's try this out. Here we go. Let's drill a hole. I'm going to just aim for track one. It's just above that barcode there. And here I go. There. Okay. Right, okay, whew, right. So there we have it. So I've drilled a hole now in my CD. So that hole is about two millimeters, about, well, yeah, about that. So this hopefully should work. However, do realize that I am in a live situation here. There is a good chance that this won't work, right? Uh, if it doesn't work, forgive me, okay? So you know, I'll get my excuses in early. I'm sorry if it doesn't work. If it does work, and I'll put it in the CD player, uh, I want to cheer. <laughs> I want to cheer for maths. I want to cheer for technology. I want to cheer for One Direction. <laughs> All right. If this works, let's see if it does. So put that in. And I'll use my red microphone again here. Yay! I'm happy with that. Lovely, really nice. And I'll finish with this, with a quote from my original hero from the beginning of the talk, Hedy Lamar. When she was asked what her proudest achievement was, she didn't say films. She said, uh, films have a certain place and a certain time period, but technology, and I'm going to add maths to that as well as a mathematician, technology is forever. And I'll say thank you very much for now. Thank you. Great, thank you very no much, problem. James. Uh, if you've got questions, can you put your hands up and keep them up, and I'll try and get to as many of you as possible. We've got a couple of roving mics. I'm going to get my excuses in again. So I'm a mathematician, not a computer scientist. I know I strayed into an area I have no right to stray into, right? <laughs> computer science. So if you start asking me about uh, hash functions and things like that, I may fail. But we'll see what questions we get. We've got a question there. We've got a question over there. Oh. That's exciting. Yeah, keeps it a bit different. Right. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about Tommy Flowers? Ah, oh, can I tell you a little bit more about Tommy Flowers? Yeah, so I wanted to tell that story, yeah, because those people need to be more famous. Absolutely. So we had uh, John Tiltman, Bill Tut, Tommy Flowers. So Tommy Flowers was uh, an engineer for the post office research station. Uh, so he worked on making the post office more efficient. Uh, he had this idea of building Colossus. Um, the others thought it was a no-go idea. They thought it wasn't a, a goer. Uh, he actually paid for it out of his own money to build Colossus to show that it worked. Uh, he had to pay his staff out of his own money. Uh, and, um, yeah, he, I mean, he's one of the unsung heroes of Bletchley Park, really. He should be better known. Uh, and then, yeah, as like one of the pioneers of computer science, and then much later, in his 80s, you know, he then takes like a, a computer IT course at his local <laughs> library to work out how Excel works and things like this. Yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting person himself. He, he did go to his grave with people not knowing. Yeah, so he did, publish, he did publish his work, that, but he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to explain what Colossus was for. But in the 80s or something, he, did, he was allowed, he didn't have to ask. To, he was allowed to publish about Colossus, but not what it did. There's about it. Uh, there was a question that was over here. Yeah, uh, oh, have you got, have we got I, someone get on it? Can I ask you a quick one whilst... Um, yes, sure. Sure. If you drilled multiple holes in different parts of mm. the CD, if they're far enough apart, does it still work? I think they would have to be radial, so they have to be in a straight line. You can do this experiment at home. I'm not encouraging you <laughs> to drill holes, kids. I'm not encouraging you to drill holes in CDs, but if you use a black felt-tip pen... You can do this experiment at home. It works the same. A black felted tab, do a dot, like I drilled a hole. Do a dot. It works the same because it means the laser can't read that bit of the music. So you can do it, or you can do like a whole scratch. And hopefully, it should work. Too much damage. It's not magic. Won't work. Come on. About, about those CDs, mm. um, if like they're already ingrained into the CD so that it can read it, um, what about when you burn CDs? Ah, so yeah, so when you burn CDs, when your computer is burning CDs, yeah, so it will, it will include those error digits. So the CD has these extra digits like we saw on that demo. So it includes those extra digits so you can replace the missing information and your computer will do that too uh, when you're burning a CD. Yeah, it does that too. Uh, in fact, it's more reliable, I think. The computer does something slightly better, more reliable. Um, oh, down here, didn't realize. Keep your hands what up if you've got one. What other things did um, Hedy Lamar invent? Oh, what other things did Hedy Lamar invent? So she invented, like, a traffic light system, um, which I, you know, didn't go anywhere, but she did that. Uh, and she invented, like, uh, a Coca-Cola pill. Like a pill you could drop into water, and it makes Coca-Cola. Oh. <laughs> Uh, which tasted like Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> uh, so she did invent some other things as well, yeah. Uh, she was always interested in science as a kid, like your age. Her father encouraged it. She was always interested in science as a kid. Uh, she went to movies, uh, but she continued being interested in science, yeah. And is the... Back corner. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There. Go for it. Um, I have two questions. Ooh. How did they crack the Enigma Code, and were you in a video where you talked about the n number of combinations? Say that last question again. Um, were you in a video about the number of combinations? I didn't hear that last question. Were you in the video, a video about the Oh, the video. You mean number file video, don't you? Aha. Okay. Uh -huh. So, the, yeah, not everyone will know what that means. Uh, I do videos on YouTube about maths and science, uh, and I did a video about Enigma, didn't I? So you've seen it. 
That's really uh, good. Yes. That's really good. Thank you. That's nice. Well, I, I assume it's nice. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was me. Yeah. Um, so how was the Enigma broken? So Enigma is the famous one, of course. So they built another code machine called the Bomb. So it gets confusing with all these machines. You've got Lorenz, broken by Colossus. Enigma was broken by the Bomb machine. The Bomb was actually a process of elimination. The Bomb was trying to work out the wrong settings to reject. I'm only giving you the gist of the idea, but it was actually a process of elimination. It was faster to reject the wrong settings than to go looking for the right one. And then anything you can't reject <coughs> must be the correct answer. Colossus was doing something different. It was doing a calculation, and what you should be getting in the code is essentially 50% of the time you should get dots, and 50% of the time you should get crosses, right? It should be like a coin toss. But if your wheels are in the right position and you do a calculation, Bill Tut noticed that you were slightly more likely to get dots, 55% dots, 45% crosses. So slightly more likely to get dots if the wheels were in the right place. So that's how you could tell where the wheels were in the right place. And is there one more? Maybe? Is there any more? Okay. So we've got a couple of one. We've got one down here. We've got someone running over there. I'll try and get down to you. Um, what's your YouTube channel? Oh, what's my YouTube channel? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, plan, I'm, not, right? I'm not here for self-promotion. <laughs> um, uh, Numberphile, is a really, and it's really good. It's not just me. Um, so Numberphile, um, so yeah, can you remember that? Number file. Uh, look it up. It's good, and I can say that because it isn't just me. It's a team of speakers. I'm one of them, uh, and it's all about different maths and different, you know, mathematical facts and things. Interesting stuff. It's quite popular, which is really nice. Um, so go check it out. Yeah. Uh, there was a question down here. Yes. Uh, how can your phone piece together like a web page or something if you're moving it around the place? How can your phone piece together when you're moving at yeah. the same time? Now I'm going to get into trouble here because I'm starting to. I'm on the limits of my knowledge here because you're getting into you're getting into the technical stuff of how it all works. So I might skip it because I'll only start to make up stuff, and I don't want to do that. I'm not, somewhat on the cusp of my knowledge with that one. Um, maybe there was one more, but it's up to you. Uh, yeah, we've got time for one more. There was one more. I thought there was a way. There, there's this hand up here again. Yeah, yeah. we can go back up here. Um. As a mathematician, what do you think you should do in the Monty Hall problem? Switch or stay? Oh, right. Uh, yes, with the Monty Hall problem. So, well, we've got the props, haven't we? Um, so the Monty Hall problem, for people who don't know, is a famous mathematical problem which has a surprising solution. It's the idea is a game show. Uh, there used to be a game show called Make a Deal, and the game show host was Monty Hall. That's why it's called the Monty Hall problem. And at the end of the game show... There would be three doors, one, two, and three. And behind one of the doors was your star prize, a car. And behind the other two doors was your BB prize, which for some reason in the setup of the, of the question is a goat. This depends on whether you want a goat or not. <laughs> Let's assume you don't want a goat, you want a car. So you've got these three doors. You pick a door. Okay, you pick door number three. Right. He opens, okay, no, he doesn't open it up. Monty Hall then says, well, okay, you picked door number three. There's door number one, door number two. I'm going to show you door number one was a goat. Now you've got two doors left. It's two and three. Do you want to switch? Do you want to change your mind? Now, I think it's fair to say intuition would be it doesn't matter. There's two doors left. It must be 50-50. It doesn't matter. And I, I understand that. It completely seems reasonable. 
Surprisingly, you are more likely to win if you switch, if you change your mind and you move to the other door. You're actually twice as likely to win if you change to the other door. You can try this out for yourselves. You can do it as an experiment. Get three cups and a jelly baby or something. Right? Play it with someone. Do as many games as you want, 20 games, 100 games. You will see it is better if you change your mind. And the reason for that is if it was truly random, it would be 50-50. It would be if it was random, but it's not random. You see, Monty Hall, the game show host, reveals one of the goats. He knows where the prize is. He doesn't accidentally reveal a car. He will never do that. He will never re accidentally reveal a car. So because he knows where the prize is, he shows you where the goat is, gives you two choices. The two choices you're left with is not random. If it was random, it would be 50-50. Random means the game show host accidentally shows you the car sometimes. Right? If he doesn't do that, it's not random, so that's why it's not a 50-50 choice. It's slightly strange, slightly surprising. Um, where this became very popular in the 1990s, and um, when it became popular, uh, it was in a parade magazine, and uh, mathematicians were writing, even, even mathematicians were writing in saying, this is wrong. Total nonsense. I'm, I'm astounded that you're writing such nonsense in this magazine. But they were wrong, okay, because it's so surprising, so unlikely. And maybe that might be a good place. Yeah, I think so. Um, great. Pass back. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for coming. Uh, thanks, James, again once more. As you've heard, you can see more of him on the YouTube oh. channel.